Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Mike Ayaro. I'm your co-host, Gabe Kelly. And you are listening to Preheat and Bake, the only culinary cannabis podcast on the internet right now. And, uh, what all that? <laughs> you know what, that's what we're going to go with, though, because uh, I haven't seen any other that are as good as ours. So, you know what, uh, I think we can take that title. Sure, I'll take it. I know that it's been a little bit since we've recorded, but, like, what have you been up to, man? How you been? I've been good. Uh, it has been a minute since we recorded. It's kind of difficult to sit down and, like, find the time of the day. Uh, our house situation was a little bit funky for a second there, and uh, finding finding you a job to help with that house situation was funky, and I feel like that stress made it kind of difficult to sit down and really record the podcast and kind of be emotive and not sound like robots. But now that I think we're settled into the house and everything is set up, uh, it'll be a lot easier. Uh, I've been doing too much. I've mostly just been focusing on... I'm uh, learning how to use Ableton. I've been making music. Uh, not too much else, man. How much? What have you been doing? Well, you know, I think that like now that I have a job and like we're settled in, like you said, I think that like it's definitely helped like get us in the right vibe. You know, we've got everything situated the way we needed to now. You know, we were having some technical difficulties, but <laughs> slowly but surely, I feel like we've been working through it and. I feel like now that we've got everything situated the way we want it, we'll be able to do this the way we want to without having to worry about all of these extra issues on top. Oh, 100%. The podcast is just up from here. It's just going to be better and better. I think everything being set up the way it is now, it's a lot more cozy to record. We don't really have to worry about uh, anybody coming in. I think learning how to use, uh, like... Ableton for music stuff is going to help me with trying to edit the podcast and make it not sound funky. And uh, on the topic of editing, everyone, thank you for tuning into this. I know that the editing has been a little uh, hard to swallow, but you know, we're, we're learning, we're growing, we're trying to get the situation figured out so that it sounds as flawless as we can get it to. But thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we know that this is taking time out of your day. And both of us just want to say thank you for giving us uh, an hour of your time. We appreciate you. Yes, we do. <laughs> All right. Now, smoothly segueing into our topic because we are smooth segueers. Um, today, we're going to be talking about the criminal justice issues that lie behind the legalization of marijuana, the actual banning and the war on drugs that were the reasons that marijuana was outlawed and the effects that those laws have had on this country so far yeah um i feel like it's a really big point to bring up especially right now with everything going on it's something i honestly haven't done too much looking into personally and it's been nice to well like looking to make this episode and talking with uh our guests later on uh Sitting down and having like look it up, it was very eye-opening and sad to see, but also good to know about and good to know that uh, it's good to have that idea of what's going on. I think it's it's really awesome to be able to sit down with people who have different life experiences than us and really be able to like hear what it's like for them and the things that they go through. But then also these topics are forcing us to go and you know educate ourselves and delve deeper into these topics um 
and I think something, especially when it comes to like the the criminal reform that's coming with the legalization of marijuana, is the fact that sim- simply put, black people are way more likely to be arrested for a nonviolent federal marijuana charge than anyone else in the in the country. One in twenty black men over the age of eighteen in the United States is in federal or state prison compared to one in 180 white men. That is a problem. It's mind-blowing. How do, like, how do we even get to a point like that? I mean, I mean, we kind of started at that point. We were founded on racism, and, like, that's how we started. But it's crazy to think that we've had these movements to help break down racism, and yet still we're right at this point well what it comes down to is the fact that we banned slavery and immediately created the industrial prison complex and we could no longer have legal slaves so the 13th amendment was created so that we could imprison and jail them and they could still be slaves that is simply put the facts and now as we're moving on further and further and trying to change the obvious wrongdoing that our judicial system has inflicted on these black people and these brown people who have really truly done nothing wrong and the only reason that they're in jail is for being black and brown um i think that we really do need to just simply break down our judicial and prison reforms not prison reform our prison system entirely scratch that and we just need to come up with a new system entirely i agree so i think when we're talking about the issues of the legalization of marijuana we actually have to go back to the beginning of why marijuana became illegal in the first place and what do you know it's still racism (laughs) what would you know and i know shocker right so i think it was back in the 40s or 50s there was a politician a white male politician um who was running on the platform against immigration, um, specifically Hispanic immigration, saying that marijuana would make you lazy, it was like would make you like connected to all these like terrible gangs and cartels, yeah. and you would just be like an angry person, and you would beat your wife. Smoking weed makes you gay, man. I can one hundred percent confirm that. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Um, no, it's just like they they really couldn't actually like legitimize marijuana because it was threatening the actual like pharmaceutical and other industries we had set up so this massive influx of hispanic immigrants that we were having scared the good white folk of this nation back then so they created the laws that were basically banning marijuana and were also then giving them a reason to jail and fine hispanic immigrants yeah it's wild how far it goes back and the fact that um it's really like all people of color have been affected by this issue not just black people not at all and it's sad to see that like we've just let it get to this point and especially nowadays still it's still such a big problem it's even worse like on a state basis because of population and the way that like that works and where people are living but it's like there's like seven states where between 80 and 90 percent of all drug offenders sent to prison are african-american that's insane 
that's wild to think about. There's like there's so many states with all these like wonky statistics about drug charges that are just so hard to wrap your mind around. Black people are not consuming or participating in the drug trade any more than white people are. White people are, I, I would assume, actually more so involved because there's more white people in this country than there are black people. Black people make up 13% of this nation's population, yet makes up over 34% nationwide of our entire populace. So of our prison populace. So how, with only 13% of our nation, have we jailed? Well, I mean, just flat out, white America has a drug problem. And in the efforts of, to curb their drug problem, oh goodness, in the efforts to curb their drug problem, white America has used the backs of people of color to just pave the way and to still have a drug problem. That, but then they also use people of color as their scapegoats. So instead of actually taking responsibility for the crises in their own communities, the war on crack was started. The war on opiates was started. Um, the war on crack was really just a war on being black. <laughs> That's just the, the straight facts of the matter. The federal government took it on itself to force itself into black communities, crack down on this so-called epidemic, but really it was just more reason to detain, stop, and harass people of color. For real. It, the war on drugs is so much more than a war on drugs, and it's crazy that people can't see past that. I definitely think moving forward in this nation, I don't think that the war on drugs is really going to be prevalent anymore because I, I really think that everybody is starting to come to terms with the fact that it just fucking failed. Everybody does drugs. Everybody <laughs> does drugs. I'm sorry. And here's the thing. If you think that your drugs are legal, I don't care. Caffeine is a drug. Nicotine is a drug. Alcohol is a drug. I can go on. We have found ways to pharmaceutically and chemically alter our moods, and that is what we like. Yeah. And now with the legalization of marijuana, people are starting to realize that marijuana isn't actually a drug. It's literally a plant imbued with all of these great chemicals and properties naturally that our body is already receptive to. Yeah. So if we were able to actually tap into that and then use that, we wouldn't be like dependent on these pharmaceuticals and these pills yeah it's wild the pharmaceutical industry is so i so my senior high school i did a entrepreneurship class and i ran a small holistic medicines business and holistic or homeopathic which word am i looking for all natural medicines business i was trying to be like on like the opposite of like big pharmacy and whatnot and doing research it is just devastating the like effects of opioids and how like how jaded people are to like the reality of big pharmacies and the way that like pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies operate and like pharmaceutical companies don't see the consumer as a person they're a money sack there's something to acquire money from they do not care at the end of the day what happens after that drug leaves their hands and even if it's like the proper drug facts i think that the pharmaceutical com like the pharmaceutical industry has been one of the main reasons that 
we have we have this massive opiate crisis because they're just ham-fistedly throwing out these pills to people who might not even need them but it's simply all about making money so i think something else that has really blown my mind is that even though in a lot of states it is legal federally marijuana is still illegal so even if you're in california or colorado or even in our great state of michigan um there's hella sarcasm dripping off that great for the record um you can still be federally prosecuted and jailed for the right for the right reasons now it you have to be toting a lot but (laughs) you you know you gotta have a little extra but, I'm not even thinking of like moving totes. I'm thinking of those little like uh, like those white mom pyramid scheme little like hand sewn totes. They've got your initials on them. They talk about like, the power of reading and whatnot. Dots, bro. Hell yeah. It's full of gas. Full of gas. So I think that like moving back to our subject, um, when we have to talk about the legalization of marijuana, we have to talk about the expungement of records. Yeah, because there are there are so many people who are in jail right now i have good friends who are in jail right now over a stupid three strike law now do you know what the three strike law is unfortunately for those of y'all who don't know what the three strike law is the three strike law was um actually created and signed well it wasn't created by bill clinton but bill clinton signed it into law that if you are stopped three times by a law enforcement officer after the third time that they have found any amount of marijuana or some other drug you can go away for over 10 years that's a decade of your life off of possibly less than an eighth it's it's devastating like why is it so important that we put people in jail in this country why can't we just simply rehabilitate them and actually try to help them better their lives instead of in, not indoctrinating them what's the word i'm looking for <laughs> um institutionalized that's the word yeah. we institutionalize them and create this prison complex where now we have people who just can't leave jail because they've never known anything else the part that's so fucked up to me is that like prison <laughs> prison inherently is a place for people who are violent and like a danger to society and like i i mean the worst thing I've seen a crackhead do is like yell and get like get intimidating. But I mean, they they use crack. They're frail. They're no. They're not really that much of a danger. And I just it's so interesting that jail is a place originally for violent offenders and people who are a danger to society, and it is now for violent offenders and people who are a danger to society. But mostly. For regular Joes. For normal ass people who have families. Shit, I've been to jail. Yeah, well, I have not. Because I'm cool. But here's the thing, folks. It doesn't matter what you actually have on you. If a cop wants to take you in, he's going to take you in because he can have what's called probable cause. The police are so absolutely un... um, the police are absolutely unrequired to actually have real hardcore evidence to bring you to jail. They can they literally detained me for over 13 hours for having marijuana. 
in my car. Now, granted, it was in Indiana, and it's illegal. Whatever. However, the actual <laughs> fact... <laughs> <I don't... laughs> uh, whatever. It was illegal. I was breaking the law. They stopped me from breaking the law, but wh- fucking whatever. You know what? It shouldn't have been illegal anyway. That's, that's <laughs> the point I was trying to make. There are actual people in those states who are creating meth on copious levels and distributing it. Yeah, but meth beats. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> meth does not beat <laughs> Meth. But that's what I'm saying. I that's don't what, endorse meth, actually. That's what I'm trying to show, say, though, is our law enforcement officers do. <laughs> yeah, in a way. Because what are we cracking down on? Who's in jail right now? That's that's really where you... That's the hardcore evidence. You can pull all these statistics, but at the end of the day, who's in jail? Not the meth makers. Not the meth convoys. It's the potheads who stand on the corner of their street with a blunt. The meth convoys. There are, there are meth convoys. There's a bunch of bikers and their Harleys rolling down the street, meth in the saddlebags. I've seen it! Dude, I... For anybody that lives in Grand Rapids, there's a skate park downtown, and uh, there's a parking lot next to it with a big RV in it, and uh, there's just no way that is not a meth RV. It's got a little generator hooked up. This is way off base, and there's no need for me to bring this up, but like, there's no way they don't make meth in that little RV. But, we're bringing it up to a little bit of a close in the preheat section here. Um, we've got a wonderful interview with, uh, Bambi Banks Kool-Aid and Jacob. Jacob Michael Stanton. I gotcha. Um, I'm gonna have some wonderful conversation with them. Uh, in the meantime, enjoy a little bit of a break. Grab yourself a drink, grab yourself a stretch, and we'll be right back. And, uh, just remember, I really do not endorse meth or any other hard drugs. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Mikey Yarrow, joined by my co-host, Gabe Kelly. And today I have very special guests coming to join us today. Um, I had the very great opportunity of sitting down with both of them and getting to actually kind of create something. So our very first guest that I'm going to bring in today is none other than the legendary chicago drag queen miss bamberly banks kool-aid hi bambi hi how are y'all how's it going thanks for having me today of course i really wanted you guys to be able to come onto the platform that i have since you know you guys were so awesome and let me come onto the platform that you all got that you guys are creating and starting to foster on youtube Yes, thank you so much. Um, if you guys don't know what we're talking about, uh, I started a new um, cooking show called Bambi Bakes, where we bake edibles. And uh, Chef Micah was one of our first guests for the pilot series. It'll be coming out December 9th on YouTube. So make sure you check it out on Moving Standard, period. That was so much fun, and I'm so happy that you guys allowed me to come and you know practice my craft of edible making. It was such a good time. 
was so good too. Um, if y'all ever get a chance to, you know, get some uh, Chef Micah Yaro edibles, they will be bomb. I'm gonna let you know now. Mike had actually shown me the trailer clip that was put out. I believe it's out, but either way, it mm-hmm. looks super great, really polished. I'm excited to be able to sit down and watch the finished product. Look, all thanks to my producer. He really hooked it up. You know, I just kind of showed up. He was like, you want to do this? And I was like, I do want to be Selena Gomez. Like, I want to be that girl. <laughs> and um, Selena Gomez has a cooking show. I have a cooking show now. And that's all that matters. You know, I see the parallels. I see it for you, baby. Um, speaking of the producer, I would also like to welcome to the show, Mr. Jacob Stanton. How are you doing, my friend? I am doing well, Micah. How are you? Oh, enjoying this gloomy day here in Michigan, but you know, I'm stoned, my co-host is stoned, and we're ready to get down and discuss with y'all. Absolutely. Okay, y'all beat me to the punch, so I will join you right now, but, uh, I'm really excited to be here with y'all. Thanks for having us on the pod. Of course. Um, I myself do not have any, you know, production history. I've only very recently started appearing in cameras and screens. So, you know, being able to work with people who have experience in this field and the well, both of you have experience in your fields, respectively, Jacob as a producer and then, you know, Bambi as one of the dolls of Chicago, I think getting to sit down with two people who are talented but also driven to create some content was really a great opportunity for me myself at least thank you that was so sweet um i am an icon legend and star and jacob's great too so yeah bambi is a really humble celebrity to work with and (laughs) what we're really excited to do is you know there's a couple purposes to this i mean i came to bambi i think it was like five months ago wasn't it like five, six months ago, I texted Bambi when I was in the South. And I was watching, shout out IMHO on YouTube as well, because I was watching an episode of that. And Bambi was talking about something and their favorite baked good. And I was like, oh, Bambi loves a baked good. And then I was like, Bambi bakes. And then I text Bambi immediately. And I'm like, what if we did this thing? Cause I'd been developing like a sort of influencer, you know, concept for YouTube and how to turn that whole medium on its head a little bit and maybe question the ethics of it a little bit. And now here we are. Now, when you say question the ethics of the YouTube influence and the sway and power they have on social media, um, please expound on that because that sounds very interesting. Uh, I mean, it's a lofty goal, right? But, you know, First of all, I only started moving standard, feeling comfortable with a product of some sort, right? And, you know, I was sitting there thinking with myself, what do I want to do? What do what do I want to put out there? What am I really producing at this point, right? Because that's such a broad term that people kind of roll their eyes at. And how do I want to make that effort visible uh, without centering myself as a white producer, right? So mm-hmm. looking at everything in the grand scheme of things, um, the whole like YouTube drama really annoyed me during the pandemic. Like the YouTuber, you know, these millionaires that, you know, post videos of like a new car or whatever, and then get millions of more dollars in sponsorship, but then have really bad messaging and pretend to care about social issues when it's profitable. That just turns me off. And I think that we're 
we as a greater society are, are moving away from that, right? Like, are, are, am I allowed to cuss on this? Oh, yeah, no, this is the internet. Say whatever the fuck you want to. Okay. I was just making sure. Uh, yeah, no, like, whatever, my bull, our bullshit meter, I think, and I think Bambi can agree with this, our bullshit meter is watchers and viewers are getting really good. And yeah. the amount of content coming out right now digitally. Um, so long story short, with that influencer thing, I um, really thought to myself, what if you have that YouTube celebrity that instead of basket weaving or crocheting or whatever, and no shade to basket weaving or crocheting, but like, what if you, you know, care about the real shit first, but do the other things also? And by that, I mean, talk about Black Lives Matter, talk about criminal justice reform, talk about healthcare reform, talk about whatever, and not have it be taboo. It's crazy how much content has been flowing onto the internet nowadays. And it's awesome that uh, you guys are wanting to put content out that is really talking about the serious issues that are going on in society. And it's like, it's baffling how much content is being put out there that really has no touch with what's going on and really doesn't saying much, but is still so popular. But uh, yeah. it's always great to see people putting stuff out there that uh, is really trying to send a message. I feel like it's also just making the message digestible for uh, a more broader audience. A lot of people are, I think we don't, uh, as Americans, we're all very sensitive and kind of uh, desensitized all at the same time. And uh, I feel like one of our biggest missions is to really try and make the show uh, as uh, formative, but also, um, easy for your like grandparent your boomer grandparents to watch and things like that you know what i mean like i uh, i, I totally sure get you i i mean when i when i was sitting down with gabe and we were trying to you know process what we wanted to do with this and because you know there is a message to be shared there are things that people are going to hear on this podcast obviously so you know at the end of the day are we just gonna sit down and talk about you know food and weed or is there going to be something with a little more substance and I know Gabe and I have both made a conscientious effort to, you know, really have an underlying message where it's highlighting issues that, you know, aren't talked about or need more light um, or have, you know, a deeper underlying issue. Totally. Yeah. I, you know, on top of just adding on to that, too, one of, one of our biggest concerns, and Bambi did a really great job, I think, pulling me back from the the political a little bit and saying, you know, like, how do we actually make it look and feel right? Because it does need to feel bright and fun. And that the show turns out looking like one thing, but sounding like another. And it's, it's a really cool thing because, you know, weed right now, as y'all know, like it's a, when you see a weed show, a lot of the time it is very masculine, right? Like there's a lot of like, um, not this show, but other shows and, um, you know, podcasts and whatnot, even just imagery, right? Like you always think dark greens, and it needs to be a certain cannabis culture and you don't really see any femme representation or very little femme representation or queer representation in like a very open way. And so I think there's something really cool there to, you know, see conversations in the kitchen with you and Bambi together, right? Because y'all... Your chemistry on camera, first of all, is the most amazing thing. That could be a cooking show in its own right. 
Ah, oh, that's you. thank you. That's great. I Bambi is one of my favorite people in Chicago. Oh my god, stop y'all. My head is already so big. <laughs> and you put even bigger wigs on top of it. Work. It's uh, true. I love it. Um I think you said something, Jacob, that's very true. And it's you don't see a lot of um queer cannabis influencers and people there are they do exist but for the most part the cannabis community is very heteronormative and very um straight and i think that bringing queer people who are comfortable with marijuana to the forefront and you know showing that marijuana is in fact for everybody and can be enjoyed by everybody is something that has been missing almost but I think that's part of why I love this show concept so much is because it is gay as hell. And it's also for the potheads. Now, something that I wanted to touch on is that, you know, when we were talking about what kind of recipes we wanted to have on the show, we talked about accessibility and we talked about, you know, ease of everybody being able to do what we were doing on the show. Um, Either of you can respond, but... You know, why is it important for people to make edibles at home with, you know, by for themselves, not to just go buy one from a dispensary? We are sponsored by a dispensary. So, you know, it's like that's great for people who live in Illinois. But a lot of uh, uh, places in the United States don't really like they're not decriminalized. And um, I think that they should be allowed to enjoy, too. So anyway, you get your marijuana, you know. You getting some street weed, you getting your dispensary weed. We're gonna teach you how to actually like, you know, you know, make an edible yourself at a like cheaper price because also we gotta save money for weed. <laughs> exactly. Man cannot live on edibles alone. I think that people understanding that marijuana is and cooking with marijuana specifically is so approachable and doable. Um, for the simple fact that THC bonds to fats and if you cook in America, I can almost guarantee you have either butter, canola oil, or olive oil in your pantry at this point. And you can infuse that also easily. So easily. Like, it was... Okay, shout out to Chef Kina Moffat also uh, down in Georgia. Because uh, we did use their Cannabis Creations cookbook as a kind of starting place for this whole thing. Because they have these really accessible butter, coconut oil, uh, even the cannabis milk recipe. Like there's a lot of different things that I didn't even know you could infuse so easily. Yeah, especially here at um, the house, uh, myself and my co-host, we we are both chefs and cooking with marijuana has been something that we've been playing with for years. Oh yeah. And you know, we've, both of us have made some wild stuff, man. I mean. Gabe, talk about some of the edibles that you've seen get made here in Michigan. It's crazy what people are doing with edibles here in Michigan. What's y'all's specialty right now? What's the tea? What's on the menu? Uh, a great way that I find to get like a lot of THC into something and also keep it tasting really good is brownies. Um, okay. A really good brownie recipe I know has uh, a brownie on the bottom, uh, caramel that you can infuse, and then a brownie on top. All three layers are infused, so packs a lot of THC, but it also keeps it tasting really good. 
Oh yeah, I would I would thoroughly recommend my co-host as a chef, but also because this man knows more about marijuana than anyone else I have ever met. Even people who work at dispensaries, this man is an encyclopedia on the subject. Oh, you're too kind. Well, that's the thing too, right? A lot of people think that dispensaries exist and that now legitimizes cannabis but cannabis has been legitimate its whole life and so that's great that your co-host is like always been a wealth of knowledge i think that's what we're trying yeah, we to can't wait to have you that yeah. that is the wow. the base point of this podcast between myself and my co-host we know enough about cannabis and culinary arts and we want to disseminate that to a population that is scared by either of those subjects because to be true most normal people are scared to get in a real kitchen and cook and most normal people who have never been in a dispensary probably won't because they're scared of it so normalizing it destigmatizing it and disseminating it out into the world is kind of what we're all about the child of dare um in Ooh, texas dare you know, yeah i was they made us do all the uh, little like simulations where they made you walk on the line with the beer goggles and all that stuff. So my perception of drugs and alcohol was very interesting as a child. And then, you know, actually smoking <laughs> changed my life. <laughs> oh, that that part. Me and Gabe um, were both raised very, very, very religious. Yep. I mean, we met at a Christian high school. That That is how we became friends. And, you know, they told us it was the devil's lettuce. And then about a year, year into going to a Christian high school, we probably started smoking weed pretty regularly. Yeah. And the the vibe just changed. The attitude changed. My levels of fucks changed. I just stopped caring about the bullshit at that point. Hallelujah. Um, and something else that I don't think a lot of people understand when it comes to marijuana specifically is why it is so stigmatized in this country when for the longest time hemp was actually legal and we didn't actually outlaw marijuana as a like controlled substance until the 20th century because we had an influx of Hispanic immigrants that were bringing actual like marijuana plants with them into the, the southern portion of the nation. Now, the issue was not the marijuana plants. The issue, obviously, were Hispanic people that were not wanted. So they created this massive propaganda slogan about Mexican madness, quote-unquote, and about how it was tied to marijuana. And that was the initial point where marijuana was started to be seen as this kind of bad, you'll be lazy, you won't do anything, you know. All of the negative stigmas start to, you know, get built up and over time those stigmas turned into fear marijuana was um illegal in the first place because of a political campaign to elect somebody who was anti-immigration i can't think of the actual political gentleman um oh he was in the 50s what's his name (sighs) work um but it literally was targeted as a kind of a racial identifier and if you you know only you know immigrants smoked weed that was kind of how it all started and then you know over time you know the hippies took it over in the 70s and kind of 
changed the way that weed was looked at, but it was still illegal because, you know, the 80s and Ronald Reagan happened and Nancy Reagan and all those lovely people. So Are you are you talking about the 30s with Anslinger? Yes, thank you. My timelines, oof, y'all. Oh, no, no, you're good. I was, like, trying to remember what you're... Cool, okay, yeah, no, that's the root of the issue because now it's... I mean, it's still a Schedule One drug, and, like, that. it's just insane to me that even, you know the establishment liberal party that exists doesn't even really speak out to it. It's a shame. And what's even more interesting now is, you know, coming with all of the new legislation that's been put into effect over the last 10 years, you know, now with actual agricultural hemp being allowed to be grown in the U.S. federally, it has really changed the way that people kind of see the actual plant because, you know, now there's CBD oils in gas stations and Meyer and Walmart. It's everywhere. And it's all, I mean, that's just kind of wild though, because it just goes to show how America is very white is right. Like anytime, like something is popularized, it's usually, you know, a white person profiting off of the situation. Uh, and I think that's really interesting that, most dispensaries uh specifically in chicago are owned by white men i can only think of one that's like owned by uh women of color that's mocha on the west side oh 100 percent, bambi i mean even if you look in the first like big colorado groups that were like started and the you know big dispensaries and processes it's all owned by white men but when you look at the amounts of black men that are incarcerated for nonviolent marijuana charges versus white men, when they commit those crimes at the exact same rate, it's just kind of baffling to me that, you know, the white people are still handed the bag at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, in adding to that, like, you know, what I think is healthy in this whole conversation, too, is, and I'm also, I think we have to plug it legally Bambi so I'm just going to say in addition that we have you know we have a media partner which is D312 and Dispensary 33 sponsored our product for the show and we are gracious for their support and that's awesome but we they also know where we are coming from openly um in every conversation that we had starting a you know production canopy in starting the show concept I very much made it a point in Bambi knows this, that like, and agrees, I think, completely, that one, transparency needs to be key, and we can't let any of them dictate what we do um, with regard to information or, you know, like education standards or whatnot. Like, if we want to take that next step, we need to be allowed to. And, and that's part of, like, we're donating 10% of all the first three episodes to the first defense legal aid here in Chicago. They don't even know it yet. I want to be able to, you know, cut them a check for monetization by the end of December and say, hey, this isn't about us. This is about you. But it's also important to say, yo, do 312 and this company, this dispensary, they know the privilege they have and they're backing the political and entertainment messaging that we have, too. So other companies should listen to that and say, yeah, good business is actually paying attention. It's definitely time for dispensaries to start putting their money where their mouth is because, you know, marijuana and the marijuana community has been, you know, promoted as, you know, 
very inclusive, all races, all genders, yada, yada, yada. But then when you start to look at, you know, who owns the dispensaries, who owns the grow ops, who has the lab set up, it's white dudes. And there's nothing wrong with that because there are a lot of white dudes in this country. But what are you going to do with the money that you make? Are you going to continue to reinvest it and profit off of yourself? Or are you actually going to try to reinvest into the community that you are profiting off of? I mean, maybe I'm a little more radical. I think that I, I don't know if Bambi even agrees with this, but I, I might, I think there is still something. I mean, I'm going to buy, uh, you know, weed at a dispensary, of course, and we're supported by Dispensary 33. But I also think there is a conversation to be had about like, if you aren't doing that work and people are still in prison for minor drug offenses, right? And like bringing it back to the show, I mean, we were third in the country, in the state of Illinois, for discriminatory arrest for marijuana possession in 2018 when it was decriminalized. Child, the police system in Illinois is wild. I know, but I mean, we talked about this from the jump and like this is the platform where we gotta say that stuff, you know? Very true. Definitely. I think that something that a lot of people aren't really aware of is the fact that black people in this country are arrested 6.5 times more than white people for drug-related crimes, even though white and black people use and sell drugs at similar rates. The problem is not the fact that, you know, it's weed. The problem is that people of color specifically are having that used as a target and an excuse to force them into legal slavery as part of the 13th Amendment. And I think that's what it really does come down to. We abolished slavery in this nation and not even, I, I don't remember when the 13th Amendment was written, but we rewrote slavery back into our constitution. And now that we ha have more and more people of color filling our prison populations for nonviolent crimes in states where it's literally legal to possess what they were jailed for, I think that, you know, more questions need to be asked and further scrutiny is required. I do want to know, the cinnamon roll knocked me out from the episode. Oh? That you filmed with the, like, I think I was just very tired, but also, like, I ate that thing and I slept for, like, 12 hours. Listen, and Gabe, Gabe can chime in on this too. Hash rosin does not play, mama. No, it's not. It was very real. It was Hash there. rosin is definitely the difference. I, <clears throat> I used to be, I personally do not support uh, most dispensaries anymore, simply because most dispensaries, at least in Michigan, don't carry a lot of hash rosin. I used to smoke a lot of BHO and... It for just those got... of you who don't know what BHO is, BHO is a slang word for butane, which is used as a solvent when breaking down marijuana to make wax. Continue. It just made my lungs super heavy, and uh, I started smoking hash rosin, and it completely changed everything. And on top of that, a super small dab of hash rosin will get you significantly higher than like a fat dab of BHO will any day. Part of what makes it so wonderful is you can really get exact terpenes and like you can really get what you want in Yo. your weight. Goodness, weed. <laughs> your weed. Um, <laughs> that's why I, you know, hash rosin is a little more expensive, yeah. but 
you know, for and Jacob, you saw the price points of some of those concentrates and whatnot. But yeah, what's I mean, so lovely is. about the terpenes is you can have these phenotypes isolated. So, you know, if I want a hard candy flavor with citrus, I can go find that. Whereas if there's chemicals like BHO and butane involved, it kind of muddies the flavor waters a little bit. We are nearing close to our time limit, so I'm just going to ask you kind of, you guys kind of one last question, we'll touch on it, and then wrap this gig up. Um, so obviously marijuana has only very recently become um, legalized for at least 20% of the country, um, and is continuing to be legalized with each election cycle that we go through. Um, but as far as your you know, respective lives, how has um, cannabis impacted you specifically and um, your day-to-day life? Um, I feel like cannabis uh, uh, personally has helped me uh, con- not necessarily control, but um, it's helped me like I, I, for other people, I feel like it, it and like help them not focus. I feel like it has actually helped me focus. Um, I feel like before I used to smoke, I was like all over the place, had a lot of fucking energy to do like everything. And now I really only can focus on one thing. Thank, thankful to marijuana. I haven't actually had like any type of uh, run in with the law when it comes to marijuana or anything like that. Um, and then ended up being a legal, uh, marijuana card holder for the state of Illinois, uh, I think in 2018. Wow, this year has been really long. Um, so I, I don't know, I, I'm a daily user. I feel like it helps me really like narrow down what is the important things in the day for me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Definitely. I mean, it's been a positive light. It's been a really, like personally, I've had a really um, I guess I was obviously terrified about of it at first. I have the funniest first story that we can do one day to talk about, but um, I really struggled with mental health, like probably at 13. I'm like the oldest of four kids. And so uh, with three adopted siblings and I was diagnosed Prozac at 14, and then I was on Celexa at 16, which are just different mental health medications that like being handed out that young um, was pretty irresponsible. I didn't also have like the um, mental health treatment of any kind, like seeing a therapist to even really diagnose it properly, like what I was going through. And uh, obviously depression episodes and whatnot. For me, it does help me zone in on myself, be more honest with myself, kind of like center um, emotionally, like where I am at with myself more than I ever got um, from any sort of synthetic medication that I did as a kid. Um, And also the effect actually felt positive on my body and not harmful. Or like I felt like I was, you know, there was like a qualification for taking something that helped me. So it started off medical and I'm also a recreational user too, right? And I know how to sort of navigate that at this point. Absolutely. And- it's I both Gabe and myself um were diagnosed with mental health issues at a very young age and one of us was prescribed stuff and one of us well they tried to prescribe both of us yeah. and 
you know, mm-hmm. I'll let Gabe touch on it a little bit, but you know, I think that the, that was the biggest thing for us was the impact that marijuana had on our mental health. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I was given Adderall at a very young age to help with ADHD, and by the time I was in high school, Gabe and I well, have been uh playing with the concept of uh infused dinner parties um with courses and dab pairings with each courses with each course and then you know cbd cocktails to bring the edge off and you know oh wait that's really smart can't you just like sorry couldn't you just like rent out a restaurant and do that though michael um yes if i had money i could do that um but i uh, do not so (laughs) Uh, it's it's easier to work from spaces where I can you know cook if if I have to cook at my house or if I cook at you know one of my colleagues um, houses where they have a better kitchen than me I'm not really going to be that upset what matters at that point for the dinner party is having a nice ambiance so you know each dinner party ideally would be themed but It'll, you know, be in a relaxed environment. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, fine dining or, you know, even, you know, nice silverware and cutlery and all that. It can be relaxed. It can be whatever it needs to be. Turning into taking Adderall for fun and Mm -hmm. then for fun turned into because I needed to. And then it was I was taking three instead of one. And then it was kind of like, dang, like, what are other pills like? And I just started developing a really bad pill addiction. And from there, like, I tried to beat it, and I did beat it, like, by myself. But one of the biggest things that helped me beat it was smoking weed because it was able to give me that, like, mental, like, that euphoria feeling I needed. That break, that break from reality. But at the same time, was not killing me. This was fantastic. Ew, thanks for having me. Y'all oh are my faves. Thanks so much for having us. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Wrap it. We're done. Well, we are running out of time here, my friends. Thank you both so much for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Um, Bambi, thank you so much. Jacob, thank you so much. Um, again. Thank you so much.